Good morning, Hard Prague. We have just celebrated Easter and there is still a big part of the spring season ahead of us. It is a beautiful season when the nature starts fully blooming. It is the time when flowers are everywhere and the life becomes more colorful once again. I trust that you are enjoying this season and it is not true of you that you go from winter sleep right into the springtime lethargy followed by summertime loss of energy, which is gradually transformed into autumn depression, which once again uh, gradually uh, fades into winter sleep. On the contrary, I hope that you, like me, for example, take your bike and go for a ride, for a ride in the nature to enjoy what winter has not fully allowed us to do so far. In today's message, I would like to combine both the events mentioned in my introduction, both the past Easter and the coming spring season. This will start a series of messages devoted to entering a new season. However, I will not focus on nature, but on a person entering a new spiritual life. I will present principles associated with such a season, as illustrated by the transition of the Jewish nation from Egypt, Egyptian slavery to freedom and their pilgrimage to a new land that would become their possession. The starting point is the moment when Israeli leaders Moses and Aaron come to the Pharaoh and ask him to let the nation go. In Exodus 5.1, we can read, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. If you are familiar with Moses' story, you know well what preceded the moment when this hero, together with Aaron, came to the Pharaoh. Moses, who had been originally brought up in Egypt at Pharaoh's court, had to flee from there after he had killed one Egyptian. The Egyptian was trying to kill a Hebrew slave, and Moses, who also belonged to the Jewish nation, could not bear such an injustice. Acts 7.30 tells us that after Moses fled from Egypt, 40 years elapsed. He lived in the desert, married Zipporah, and even had children with her. After those 40 years, the Lord encountered Moses, speaking to him from within a burning bush, and called him to become the leader of the Jewish nation and lead his people out of Egypt. Again, Exodus 3 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up of that land into a good and spacious land and land flowing with milk and honey. So now go. 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. As Moses was reluctant to take on this task, the Lord assigned his brother Aaron to become his spokesman and send the boat to the Pharaoh. They were supposed to demand the release of their nation from slavery. Of course, Pharaoh didn't like it at all. Why should he let them go when they did the worst job for Egyptians, were enslaved and were building cities and warehouses for the Pharaoh? That's why his first reaction was negative. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let them go. As I said above, the exodus of Jewish nation from slavery in Egypt and their transition to freedom can illustrate our transition from the old life to the new life in faith in Christ. In this respect, the Pharaoh figuratively represents the kingdom of darkness, spiritual distress, life in the slavery of sin. Israel represents the God's kingdom of light, spiritual freedom and abundance, abundance in God. Exodus from Egypt can be figuratively perceived as the process of abandoning the old life in the slavery of sin and entering the new life of freedom in God. Such a transition to the life of faith is neither easy nor automatic. There is intensive spiritual battle going on for our spiritual lives. And each stage of the Jewish nation's exodus from Egypt can illustrate this struggle. It is an illustration of the devil's tactics for making it difficult for us to follow God. As I have already said, the Pharaoh's first reaction to the demand to let the people go was negative. We can see this as a figurative statement that the kingdom of darkness also doesn't release its vessels easily. The devil who rules this kingdom is not indifferent when someone is leaving it. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis formulated it aptly when the senior demon Screwtape instructs his nephew Wormwood what to do if someone is interested in entering the life of faith. He should give him ideas that will undermine his journey of faith, overwhelm him with things that will distract him from his journey, and or lead him to spiritual lethargy, which will result in his rather formal exercise of faith. So, the first thing that Pharaoh or devil is doing, he lies to you and attacks you. The first reaction of the Egyptian pharaoh was rejection. It is followed, followed by lies and accusations. Back to Exodus 5. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are, no, are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. They are lazy. That is, that is why they are crying out. 
let us go and sacrifice to our God. Note that in this passage, Pharaoh accuses Moses and Aaron of taking the people away from their labor and says that people are lazy. And he repeats the same idea a little further. In the same chapter, Pharaoh says, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. The Pharaoh accused them of being lazy three times. Nothing could be further from the truth, as people were constantly working hard on Pharaoh's projects. The devil uses similar tactics against those who want to follow God. Based on my personal experience, when I was turning to God during my adolescence, and based on my later extensive pastoral experience, I have noticed that at the beginning of the journey of faith, the devil very often comes up with a lie which consists in the following accusation. What? You? Such a dirty and sinful person? You simply can't go to the light like this. When people start thinking about God and Christianity, they have feeling that God would not even accept them because they are not holy enough. And the church is such a club only for the holy ones. When I invite someone to church, I often get a question. And can I come there the way I am? Of course you can. Another tactic used by the devil to discourage a person from a journey of faith is that he fights against you more intensely. When someone wants to leave the kingdom of darkness and join the kingdom of light, his situation seems to have gotten even worse. Back to Exodus chapter 5. That same, same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in church of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. It might have also happened to you when you were coming to God, or you might have seen it in others. But as far as I know from my pastoral experience, when people try to get closer to God, their existing situation becomes even more complicated. For instance, when they are ill, their condition gets worse. If they, exper if they experience problems in their relationships, they become even more tangled. And their journey towards faith may become the complicating factor. People often experience misunderstanding from their parents and partners and colleagues. Uh, they sometimes face criticism and, and ridicule, and, and then they end up a similar in, in a similar situation like a Jewish nation whose workload was increased and who were blaming Moses for their attempt or for his attempt to force the Pharaoh to release them. Exodus 5 says, They said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, 
Our life, ruled by the Pharaoh, was bad. But definitely not that bad like now, when we are on the Lord's journey. And when the Lord was trying to encourage them through Moses, this is, these are the words, Therefore say to, to them, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. However, they did not listen to Moses, says the scripture because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Despite this reaction of the nation, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh again. Nevertheless, this time he comes not only with a call to let the people go, go but also a treat what would happen if he failed to do so. Exodus 7 says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the stuff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the nail and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the nail will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water anymore. As even after this treat, the Pharaoh didn't change his mind. And that's why the Lord inflicted on Egypt other plagues, which may be considered as manifestation of victory over some of the Egyptians' gods. River Nile, victory over Hapi, the god of the annual flooding of the Nile. Frogs, victory over Heket, the goddess of fertility, whose symbol was a frog. These plagues were followed by mosquitoes and flies, and the pharaoh's, pharaoh's heart softened only when dense swarms of flies poured into the pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. And here we can see another pharaoh's or devil's tactics used to lead a person astray when he wants to follow God. He offers you compromises. Exodus 8. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God, but here in the land. You don't have to go to the desert to serve the Lord. Serve him here in Egypt. In other words, serve, serve the Lord but not exactly the way he wants. Thought he says you should go to the desert. It is useless. Serve him here. This compromise resembles the idea that is so popular in the current society. Be yourself. Express yourself. Don't let the rules bind you. Follow your instinct. We know. The self-expression trend emphasizing this be-yourself approach has been recently seen also at church. In this respect, you may have encountered the three beast theory depicting the relationship to God and or to church. The old, 
obsolete model consisted of three elements in the following order. Believe, then behave, and subsequently belong. Belong to us. At present, another order is stressed. First, become a part of us, become a part of the church. You can then change your thinking in interaction with us and with the Bible. So believe. And consequently, you change your behavior and so behave. We may not have many reservations about this model unless we get stuck only with the belonging, being a part of the church. When linked with the current call for self-expression, it may lead to the situation when the person stops with, the, with being with us, with belonging, and does not move further to believe and to behave. As a consequence, such a person fulfills the Pharaoh's demand. Go and sacrifice to your God here in the land. In other words, serve God the way you are. Don't change. It may have a number of implications. For example, failure to be born again. Practice salvation by works. This trend has been pursued at church since time out of mind. These days, for example, it takes the form of many people baptized in more traditional denominations that consider baptism as entering the life with God. The result is an army of people who were baptized as children at church, but who themselves say that they have no active faith in God. Some adhere, uh, some adhere to select moral principles, often related to the Ten Commandments, however, without the necessary basis, which is a personal knowledge of God. As Jesus told Nicodemus one night, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Another compromise and trend closely related to what we have just defined rests with serving God. Born again, but serving in flesh. This trend only moves the previous one a little further, where a person is born again, but is still subject to the be-yourself trend, which is often also strongly present at church. It is manifested by the fact that though the Bible says something, I have a different perception in the given area. We can, for example, observe these trends in the era of sexual identity and same-sex marriage. We can see an attempt to reinterpret various Bible passages so as to adapt them to the current global perception of sexuality. What I mean by global is mainly our European and Anglo-Saxon world. The boundaries that previously seemed insurmountable change in the name of the right understanding of the Bible. To a certain extent, this trend is understandable, as all the interpretations of the Bible presented throughout the history cannot be considered correct, of course. Nevertheless, it is a trend that requires some caution, fear and wisdom. 
John 3.6 says and continues, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And Romans 12 says, Therefore I argue, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. And Apostle Paul adds in Galatians 5 that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, jealousy, envy, drunkenness and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is exactly what wanted the Pharaoh, that you walk in the flesh. When Moses insists on what they had said, that they must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, as he commands them, the Pharaoh replied, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. And now pray for me. It is the same as to say, don't develop a deeper relationship with God. These are the words that only repeat what has already been said. Don't go overboard when leading a holy life, when reading the scripture, praying, attending church, sharing the good news and so on. Don't go overboard when serving God. Even so, you start a relationship with God, don't develop it. When I first started looking in, uh, into Christianity, I was given a cartoon tract called This Was Your Life. It depicts in a modern way the parable of the rich man who gathered abundant possession and thought his life was secured. It is written in Luke 12. However, he died that night and after some time, he heard the trumpet sound awakening him for the last judgment. And he had nothing to defend himself before God, because his acts of greed, lies, stealing and so on proved him guilty. As I was reading that story, I realized it was also my story. With the difference that I wasn't a rich man. Regardless of that, I felt profoundly that one day I would stand before God, my acts would prove me guilty, and I would have nothing to defend myself. But the cartoon track didn't end with this picture and went on. The second part depicted the same person who acknowledged Jesus as his Savior in time and changed his life. And we could see him praying, reading the Bible and serving the Lord. As I saw the other part, I concluded for myself that thought I didn't want to have the faith of the, that man in the first part, I would not be able to lead such an exemplary life 
as described in the second part of the cartoon track. I had a feeling that I was unable to change that way. Fortunately, I was later rescued by what is written in Philippians where we read, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I relied on that and started trusting God that he would help me to change my life. The same epistle to the Philippians presents the words of Apostle Paul, who summarizes his journey of faith. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Other Egyptian plagues and the Pharaoh's reaction to them reveal another devil tactics, how to lead you astray from the journey of faith. When God said cattle plague and hailstorm, Moses again approached the Pharaoh and said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go, along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that what you have been asking for. In other words, said the Lord, but on your own. Isolate yourself from your partner or from your family. But the Bible talks about integrity of the family. The purpose of the Lord is that all families serve together. And if there is non-Christian partner in the marriage, we should try to win over without words by the behavior. First Peter says that. We should simply win the partner for Christ, partner for Christ if possible, and serve together. And also, devil says you, from, isolate yourself from brothers and sisters. But nobody can serve the Lord alone. 1 Corinthians 12, For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. And there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. Even the pastors or leaders may isolate, isolate himself or they, they, themselves from others. I must, I must do my, the service myself, they say, but it is only Satan's trap. After the penultimate plaque, when the wall Egypt was covered with the darkness, the Lord demonstrated his victory over Ra, the God of the sun, whose manifestation on earth was said to be the Pharaoh. And the king of Egypt agreed with the departure of the nation at that moment. But he wanted them to leave their cattle behind. 
Again, back to Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so the darkness spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered, covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet, all the Israelites had light in the place where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. This requirement represents the last of many Pharaoh's attempts to divert Israel ties from departing Egypt. Similarly, as the devil tries to divert people from the journey of faith, serve with all your strength, but not with all your property. But 2 Corinthians 2 says, I remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Satan's goal for you is to serve in the flesh, greed, and loneliness. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't serve in Egypt. Go far enough and serve with your partner, children, the whole family and all your property. Not a hoof is to be left behind for the devil in Egypt. May God bless you richly in this.